Good morning. It's Monday, August 16th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Today on the College Football Daily, we're talking UCLA, talking about the Bruins with Dave Woods of 24-7 Sports' Bruin Report Online. Dave is also the host of the Pac-12-focused podcast of champions. We had a fun discussion. I had never talked to him before, but Really good, really good interview. A uh, fun discussion about UCLA. They, they start the season less than two weeks against Hawaii, play LSU in week one. Chip Kelly, the fans are coming around on him, but he's still not running what made him successful at Oregon. That's been frustrating. Quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson is getting a lot of love this preseason. Things, seems like things are clicking for him. The defense has to get better. They could use a few skill players on the outside to step up as well if they're going to exceed the over uh, under win total of seven. So it's a big year out in Westwood. You might look at UCLA and say, hey, I really like them in the Pac-12 South. I think they're going to be much improved. But most preseason projections still have them finishing no better than third. That's a tough division in which everyone seems to be getting better and cycling up at the same time. So that makes things a little bit tougher as Chip Kelly tries to, to get that team to a top 25 status at the least. Before we get to our conversation with Dave, though, it was... A busy weekend in college football because it was everyone's, for the most part, first scrimmage. You get a few of these. I think you get three. And when you're a fan of a program, and everyone listening is a fan of a program, yeah, you hope that the scrimmage intel is positive. You want to hear that the the defensive line is playing well or the receivers are making plays. But it's really, it's, it's you versus the injury report. This is all just a war of attrition. So you're hoping that your team stays healthy. You don't need anybody hurt. And insignificant games. Uh, Luke Doty, South Carolina quarterback, before the scrimmage even started on Saturday, news trickled out that he had uh, some people, the uh, first reports I think was like a, a foot, midline foot fracture. It, it actually is a sprained foot, but it's going to keep him out nevertheless for a few weeks. And so the battle now becomes between FCS transfer, FCS uh, St. Francis quarterback, Jason Brown. You've got some young guys on the roster, Colton Colton Gother. I'll, I'll learn your name, Colton, if you win the starting job. They've moved to Kerry and Joyner former quarterback recruit, playing receiver, maybe the team's best receiver back to quarterback. I like what Shane Beamer had to say. He's like, look, yeah, I'm not going to keep it a secret that we moved to Kerry and Joyner back to quarterback for a little bit. We're going to make everybody have to prepare to play him. But the fact that Luke Doty is questionable now to play against Eastern Illinois and then East Carolina, and then you get Georgia in week three, that's really bad news for South Carolina and for a program that was already facing an uphill battle and really was was feeling confident about Luke Doty, who was a former highly ranked recruit. So we hope he gets back to full health soon. South Carolina is also slowly bringing along. I did not know this until I was reading the Big Spur. Slowly bringing back along Kevin Harris, their star running back. It was Kevin, not Najee, who led the SEC last season in yards per carry and yards per game. He had an offseason back procedure. Elsewhere in college football, Notre Dame named Wisconsin transfer Jack Cohn, starting quarterback. No surprise there. That's the stable, steady hand. Uh, Notre Dame's ceiling is lower with Jack Cohn than it was with Ian Book. But the, the, the other guys on the roster are just too young. They're just they're just not ready yet. And and Jack Cohn gives you a lower floor, or sorry, a higher floor, lower ceiling, but probably a higher ceiling than any of the young guys too. So that's the right call, even if even if it's not a sexy one. And then the real big news was Georgia. Yeah, did you? I'm sure you saw this. Eric Gilbert, true freshman All American from LSU a season ago, had a tumultuous offseason, right? He transferred, committed to Florida, backed off his commitment to Florida, committed to Georgia. Everyone had really good things to say about him. He's playing receiver now at SEC Media Days. Kirby Smart 
likes him. JT Daniels likes him. This is a big position of need for the Bulldogs. They always need a receiver, right? They're always one receiver short, but George Pickens is hurt. He probably won't be back until November with that ACL. Jermaine Burton's banged up. They really need him, and he he's away from the team right now. He's not practicing because of what Kirby Smart said is personal issues. They play Clemson in less than three weeks. I think a lot of people, if you're picking Georgia to win that game outright, right now they're, I think, three-point underdogs. You're probably banking on Gilbert making some sort of impact in the passing game with the other guys banged up and, and hurt. So it's that's it's tough news. I did an entire podcast episode about Gilbert a few months ago with Rusty Manziel, who's covered him for forever over at Dogs 24-7, just hoping that you know Eric can figure all this stuff out, get the, get the help he needs in regards to whatever he's dealing with. So that's just really unfortunate news for Georgia and college football as a whole because this is the highest-ranked tight end recruit in the history of the 24-7 sports composite. This is a play, special player. Be surprised at this point if he sees the field in week one since he's not even practicing right now. And if he does see the field, you would imagine his role is extremely limited. So we'll, we'll keep you locked into that story as we move forward with fall camp. Our podcast interview with Dave Woods, really great stuff. Get ready to learn a lot about the UCLA Bruins. Okay, Dave Woods joins us right now. Dave, got a few micro questions to ask you about the UCLA Bruins, but I want to start with a macro one. So this is going to be Chip Kelly's fourth year, and I know attendance has dipped a little bit, and last year doesn't really count at all because of COVID. Do you think the fan base is on board with Chip, and do you expect the trajectory to start going up? In terms of on board, I would say if I was taking the temperature of the fan base, I think everyone is like rail sitting right now. They're they're not quite on board, not quite off, but uh, Chip needs to show something this season. So I think the, uh, the the temperature of the fan base is this is a show me year. As far as the trajectory, I think the team is going to be better this year. The question is simply based on the schedule whether it's going to look significantly so. Um, I think right now Vegas odds are putting it at about six or seven wins. That's about where I would have UCLA right now. Um, I don't think it sets up as a particularly easy schedule. Um, I think Chip should get his first non-conference win at UCLA with Hawaii on the schedule, as well as Fresno State. But other than that, I mean, it's going to be tough, I think, for this team to compete for a Pac-12 title, which is, I think, where a lot of people in the UCLA fan base would have had UCLA knowing it was going to be Chip Kelly's fourth year when he was hired in 2017. I think I might like their chances against LSU better than you, uh, Dave. Yeah, yeah. This is, um, I was kind of going to say the same thing. Like, I'm high on UCLA to the extent of it feels like it's, it's, it's time now for Chip. And I like the quarterback, Dorian Thompson Robinson. But yeah, it's the win total seven. And I'm flipping through my handy Phil Steele and they're fourth in the South. So it's, they're going to be better, but it feels like everyone else is going to be better too, which is a little bit disappointing. But to me, feels like he's at least on some sort of solid footing. I think they're recruiting a little bit better than they were when he first took over, Dave, and they were rolling out three and nine and four and eight and recruiting in the 70s. I was like, this thing isn't going to last another year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, frankly, I think if, if you're looking at it from like a true macro perspective, as in, whether Chip Kelly is in any danger of being fired this year or whether that's going to happen in the next couple of years. I don't think it's going to be based on the result of this season. I think the result of the season is going to be marginal uptick improvement. What this is going to be based on is the first couple of years where the entire program seemed to be in this horrible stasis of below 500 and also recruiting worse than UCLA has really in the modern era. Getting over that is going to take some time. It's going to take some time to replenish the talent pool. And they are making strides in that respect. It's just a question now, you know, entering year four, 
how much more time he's going to get to turn this entire thing around. And yeah, there are signs it's turning around. Is it going to happen fast enough? Does Chip want to play like he did at Oregon? No, no. Um, I think that's been one of the, on top of the recruiting and the roster management being oddities, um, I think that's been the thing that has been most puzzling to people who've been following UCLA is that, yes, defenses have figured out tempo offenses to a certain extent, but there are still advantages to be wrung out of um, running a tempo offense. And Chip has shown absolutely no interest in doing so. Um, If anything, he's kind of zigged with everyone else zagging or vice versa. Um, And he's running, I would say for 2008, it's an up-tempo offense, but for modern college football, it's medium to slow tempo. And it's very tight end heavy. It's very much that quote, modern pro style. Um, no, he's he's not trying to run what he had at Oregon. And it's been successful, but nowhere near the level, um, obviously, of those offenses up at Oregon. I do want to dive in, but I, I also want to explore why he might not be. Do you think this is some sort of, I'm proving that I can do this any which way? Do you think UCLA had any idea when they hired him, he wouldn't be doing what we thought Chip Kelly would be doing? It seems like he is the quarterback. Now, DTR has to work on the self-inflicted mistakes, which I'll talk yes. to you about in a second. I'm not calling him Mariota, but it feels like we could run something similar back here. You are preaching to the proverbial choir here. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that from the beginning um, because, I mean, people, I think, think about those Oregon teams as this, like, in retrospect, as these talent-rich squads because they produce some NFL talent. And when you look at it from, like, a recruiting rankings perspective, it's really backward i think a way of thinking about it because the scheme is what made the talent there he ran a scheme that you actually can run with low talent ucla when he came in uh yeah there had been a lot of attrition he could have run his spread tempo scheme uh, at ucla as well he just chose not to and if you're getting into why he might not have done that i think you, you probably what you're saying is more or less correct i think he wants to show that he can do something different and i think there's also a good faith you know, he thought that there wasn't as much of an advantage to be wrung out of tempo as there used to be, which I think is correct, but there still is an advantage. And he is a true master of the art for a guy like him who, who truly understood why and how and, and when to utilize tempo for him not to use that tool. And it, I mean, he's broken it out a time or two, but to, for him not to use that tool consistently just feels like, you know, essentially trying to fight with his left hand, you know, it's a little princess bride. Uh, but yeah, I mean, otherwise I think, um, it's, it's been a bit of a misstep, but the offense really hasn't been the problem. Um, the offense has mm. been fine the last couple of years. Um, it's been really figuring out the defense that's been the, the really challenging part for Kelly so far. Yeah, we'll get to the defense. The, uh, I, like, I like the patience he's shown in DTR. I remember that first game against Cincinnati in 2019. It felt like the kid was committing 12 turnovers. I know it wasn't quite that, yeah. but in 2020 in limited sample size, feels like we're, we're holding on to the football much better. And if he does that, this is an NFL caliber quarterback here in Westwood. Oh, absolutely. And if, if you remember, DTR's uh, quarterbacking experience is still, I mean, for a you know, guy entering his fourth year in college as, uh, as uh, at least a co-starter, it's still relatively light. I mean, he only played the back half of games his junior year and then only really started games as a senior in high school. So it's been a learning curve for him on top of, you know, getting used to playing the college game as any quarterback does, but he was still learning the position um, at a pretty fundamental level. And I think what 
was happening up until last year was beyond even the turnovers, which are still, they still happen and they're still kind of odd looking. Um, Somebody, once he gets into the NFL draft combine, the measurements of the hands, I think are going to be interesting because he has a lot of just the ball squirts out of his hands, um, fumbles. Hmm. But what was, what he was doing was whenever he would take a sack, it wouldn't be a three yard sack or a four yard sack. It'd be a 20 yard sack. Because uh, he was trying to make too much happen. He was, you know, running way behind the line of scrimmage um, and just trying to do too much um, and drastically um, overestimating, I think, his own ability to make things happen with his legs. And he's gotten a lot smarter about that. He's ma- he's ma- making much better judgment calls. And that was the story of last season. Really, why he was more effective was he limited those disaster plays. Instead of having a disaster play, it was just a, oh, that wasn't so good play. And without the disaster plays, his just a pure ability, like his arm strength, his speed, um, his ability to just make things happen, it really stands out. But he just has to avoid the things that are, for one step forward, he takes two steps back. And last year, it was one step forward, maybe a half step back. And that's, you know, obviously, you'd want to even avoid the half step. And that's what this year is hopefully going to be for him. Yeah, second team All-Pac-12 guy last year, missed two games even, and a 12-4 to TD to interception ratio. Give me one other name on the offense. You could, you could go lineman here, you could go Sean Ryan, you could go a new running back, anybody who uh, we need to know about nationally. I mean, Sean Ryan. Uh, Sean Ryan is uh, an elite left tackle for UCLA. His name's going to... Uh, it's going to be all over draft boards heading into the year. So instead, I'll talk about Zach Charbonnet, a uh, transfer running back. He's going to compete to start this year. He's in from Michigan. Uh, he wowed everyone in spring ball. And he's right there with Britton Brown to start this year. And Britton Brown was no slouch last year. He was arguably UCLA's best running back last year, even with Demetric Felton in the background and the backfield. Zach Charbonnet is a really interesting and good combination of size and speed and quickness and explosiveness. They're even trying him out at kick returner with, and that's a guy who's like six one two twenty. So uh, that's that'll be interesting to see if that actually comes to fruition. Uh, but he's a name to know because uh, he's he's going to make some plays this year. So I'm looking at last year's schedule. The games UCLA lost, they gave up 48 points, 38 points, 43 points, 48 points. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. What in the world happened? So the defense, when you look at that, you would say, oh, the defense was really bad. And um, it was. It was below average. It was such a massive improvement from years before that if you go and read our articles about those games, even when UCLA was losing one by 48 or losing one, you know, where they gave up 48, one where they gave up 38, one where they gave up 43, we were still talking about the defense as a massive improvement because it was aggressive. They were making plays in the backfield. Um, what happened over the course of the season is that that kind of one note blitzing, if people out there remember the ASU defenses under Todd Graham, they were really interesting at the beginning and then they slowly got figured out because they were just blitzing basically every down. That's more or less what happened to UCLA. They didn't have a way of getting pressure without sending a ton of extra bodies. Um, And the end result was that, especially in the final few games of the year, they got figured out and they stopped being as effective getting after the passer and teams started to take them apart. Uh, The run defense the entire year had issues. Middle linebacker was a real trouble spot. Safety wasn't great. And the interior of the defensive line Osa Digazula was really good at the beginning of the year, and then I think he wore down. Um, and when he went kind of less effective towards the end of the year, they didn't really have another guy to step in and shoulder the load. So really the issues for UCLA defensively boil down to 
somehow get a base pass rush this year and somehow shore up the interior of the entire defense from defensive tackle to middle linebacker to safety. They have to have some more strength there um, and they're working on it. They're experimenting at middle linebacker with a few other guys in fall camp um, because last year's starter Bo Calvert was pretty ineffective in the spot. And there are some guys emerging at defensive tackle who could step in and take Osa Digazua's place, but that's definitely the area where they need to focus the most. Two more questions for you. Uh, the second one's going to be pretty off the wall. First one, though, I don't know how long, Dave, you've been covering UCLA, but you could have covered them since they started playing football and they never have had a game earlier than the one they're going to play against Hawaii on August 28th. So that's kind of fun. Like that's coming up here in a week or so. And then they're going to play LSU on September 4th, which is everyone else's opening Saturday. How are they managing this early, the week zero slate with a, a massive week one game? Are they, do they accelerate their fall camp schedule? And are they, do you think they're already preparing for LSU while keeping, you know, half an eye on Hawaii? They started a little bit earlier than they usually did. They started uh, that last, I think, Friday of July, which is about a week earlier than UCLA usually starts, which, you know, makes sense given the early start. You know, they'll all say, obviously, that they're fully preparing for Hawaii. And frankly, I wouldn't discount that. I think that's going to be the focus because, again, Chip Kelly has not won a non-conference game at UCLA. This is going to be the home opener in what I think everyone in that program should understand is their show me year. So, and Hawaii, personally, I don't think they're going to be an entire joke this year. Um, Todd Graham's a good coach. They returned quite a bit from last year. Um, UCLA, I think right now is like a 16 or 17 point favorite, but that's absolutely a game where if UCLA comes in not taking it seriously at all, they can lose. So I think they're going to be solely focused on that. And then they're going to, you know, obviously do the little bit of film work and prep for LSU that week that they usually do for the, you know, two weeks from now opponent. But I don't think they're going to deviate too much from their typical week in, week out game schedule. And our last one for you, Dave, is listener question from Blair Angulo out there in LA as well. <laughs> Uh, he wanted me to ask you about Jerry Newhusel, who's on the UCLA staff, was just named to the 24-7 Sports 5th Annual 30 Under 30 team, which spotlights the brightest young coaches and staffers in college football. He thinks there is a situation or a world based on the success his dad had that Jerry could, if he does a good enough job and you know who knows what happens with Chip Kelly, and I don't even know if Blair is saying like this is an overthrow here, or one day though, Jerry Newhusel, former UCLA quarterback, could be a head coach material at UCLA. And he wanted to get oh, your take on that. Even odds, it happens within a decade. All right. What? So if, wow. If you, dude, if you, if you meet Jerry, like he was not, he was not formed by human conception. He is actually formed by mitosis from his dad's cells. Like the dude is a clone of his dad talks exactly the same, same kind of recruiter. And if you, if you paid attention to UCLA's recruiting rankings, when Rick Neuheisel was going four and eight, and they were still pulling in like top 10 classes. Jerry, he's already shown the gift of gab, the ability to relate to kids. Um, even when he was doing the GA work, he's going to be a dynamite recruiter if he's not already in that category. And he's a really smart cerebral guy. Um, hopefully he's a better coach than his dad eventually when he does get a head coaching job. But no, I will not be shocked if he ends up being the UCLA head coach at some point. He's got that... Uh, He's got the pedigree. He's got the desire to be at UCLA. And uh, who knows? I, I, think it, I think it could absolutely happen. So Blair is, I think Blair is dead on. Always accurate, that Blair Angulo. Dave, great stuff, man. We appreciate it. No problem. Appreciate Dave joining us. I'm trying to find any other news that you need to know on a national level. 
college football scrimmage side. I don't really think I have anything else. Quinn Ewers is enrolled at Ohio State. I think it's just too late right now to win that quarterback job week one or two or whatever. But I think we're going to see Quinn in November. It's just a little hunch. You're going to have to play him. You don't play him. The kid's going to transfer. So, all right. Our producer is Lance Glenn. Thanks again to Dave Woods for joining us. My name is Trey Scott. Have a great Monday. On Tuesday, get ready for a reaction to the AP Top 25. Comes out Monday morning. Probably might be out by the time you're listening to this. Later. Later.